Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. I'm going back to 2 Corinthians 2. I think it bears worth repeating this verse that we looked at this morning to lead us on further into this series about the very truth of what Jesus said in John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice. Who are his sheep? Who are his sheep? Am I going to have to go back and start all over again? Who, who are his sheep? Is it just those born again? No, he said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. You know, people born again that ain't following Jesus? Well, they evidently aren't true sheep then according to that scripture. Sheep doesn't refer to born again there. If you look up the term, the actual phrase that's used is it's one that is truly following and dependent upon another. Well, obviously you can be born again and not following and be dependent upon Jesus. So to be a sheep, knowing that I hear his voice means I'm dependent upon him. Imagine this. Imagine if every day you woke up saying, I am dependent upon hearing God today to know what I need to know today. What if we really got that desperate to hear from God every day? I am desperate, Lord, to hear from you today because I am depending upon you to get me through today. I'm depending upon you to give me understanding, insight, answers, things I need to know. And I'm sorry to say that a lot of Christians honestly aren't, aren't aware that he does desire to do that every day. Amen. So 2 Corinthians 2.14 again tells us very clearly in this scripture, great uh, truthful promise to us. Now thanks be to God, the Apostle Paul said, underline it, who once in a while, who on occasion, how often, who always does what? What does he do? He leads us in triumph. Guess what God does? Guess what God does? He leads us in triumph. Guess what God does? See, I'm not trying to trick you. Just look at the verse. Guess what God does? He leads us in triumph. Aren't you glad? He don't lead you in defeat. He leads you in victory. Notice this, in Christ. And he then through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Anybody got any diffusers at your home? So a diffuser, of course, you know, you plug the thing in and put the little oil or whatever type of diffuser you have in there, and it starts filling the house with this wonderful fragrance. Well, guess what? If you stay plugged into God and you will follow God, you will have this fragrance coming off of your life that others will notice, and they'll pick up on it. Amen? So the key here is not that God leads us in triumph. That's a given. The key is, are we being led by God? If we'll let him lead us, guess what we'll do? We'll always be led in triumph. The voice translation again says it this way. He always marches us, always marches us to victory under the banner of the anointed one. God always marches us. Say he always marches us to victory under the banner of the anointed one. So marching is, a, is an understanding from a term of what's being used there about leading us as almost like a general leading his troops. 
Because that's what it's referring to. You are in a battlefield. How many of you know that? You're in a war zone. God wants to lead you through this war zone triumphantly. He wants you to have victory in every part of every aspect of your life every single day. He wants you to be victorious in every endeavor within your social life, every endeavor within your finances, every endeavor in what you do with your business or your place of work, wherever you're at in life. God wants you to walk in victory. God's a God who desires to lead us in victory. And so all we have to do is learn to, learn to do what? Follow his voice. Learn to follow his leading. How does he lead us? We're going to talk more about that tonight. Back up to Romans again, please. Romans chapter 8. We won't read all of the verses we've been reading through now for several services. But because we've only gotten to these final verses this morning, I want to go back over some of these final verses this morning. Romans chapter 8. So we talked about here in Romans chapter 8 in verses 1 all the way down through around verse 17. How over and over and over again he keeps talking here by the Holy Spirit about two things. What does he keep talking about? Flesh, spirit. Flesh, spirit, spirit, flesh. If you are somebody who has your mind set on the things of the flesh, you're going to live carnal. If you live carnal, what does that mean? You are going to walk in death or separation from what you walk in if you're led of the spirit. Then he tells you if you set your mind on the things of the spirit, guess what? You'll walk in the things of the spirit. And the result of that is what? Life and peace. So the determination of whether I walk, you walk in Zoe life and the peace of God, that, that, that peace, why does, he say, why does he say life and peace? Isn't peace part of Zoe life? Yeah, it is. But the reason he distinguishes here, according to Greek scholars, the life and peace, because the peace is the way he leads you. <clears throat> so when you're walking in a relationship to the focus on the things of the spirit, how are you going to know that you're doing that? Because peace is guiding you. This inner peace is guiding you. I'll, I'll show you. Go back to John 14 for a minute uh, <clears throat> and hold your place in Romans 8. We're not, I, I didn't even read the verses yet, so we're going to come back. But if you'll notice this again, if you'll see this in John 14, the reason he says life and peace, this is an indicator that you know that you are clearly spiritually minded and therefore flowing and walking in the things of the Spirit. John 14 if you're there, say amen. amen. Jesus said here in verse 26, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will, excuse me, uh, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. 27, next statement, peace I leave with you. Well, there you go. Well, what was the peace he left with you? The Holy Spirit. Because the way we're guided and led is by the Spirit through the Word and through the inward witness. So peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give. It's not ecumenical. The only peace the world has to give you is ecumenical. What does that mean, ecumenical, pastor? That just means external. That means everything on the outside has to be lined up the way you want it to be so that you have this peace in your life externally. But that's not the peace he gave us. The Holy Spirit came to live where? Inside you. So this peace I give you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give. Notice the next statement. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. Now we're going to come back to this probably Wednesday night. Because this is how you begin to learn to follow the inward witness. This is how you begin to learn to follow that inward leading. So clearly this peace is talking about guidance. Yes. Say guidance. guidance. The peace he's talking about here is a guidance. 
Because if you're walking in Zoe life, guess what you're already walking in? You're walking in the peace of God. You're walking in the love of God. You're walking in the joy of God. So back to Romans 8. So why does he tell us there in the early verses, 14, 15, excuse me, I'm sorry, uh, 4, 5, 6, down and through there. Why does he tell us there if our mind is set on the things of the Spirit, we'll have life and peace. Life, Zoe, is life as God has it. Peace means because you'll be led by the Spirit. You'll follow that leading of peace. The more you and I get focused with our minds on the things of the Spirit, the more we'll know because the more we'll start, example, again, the more we'll start recognizing that peace within that guides us. And it's a powerful truth to understand that because a lot of people sometimes just say, well, I just feel like God wants me to do this. We don't ever want to go by feel like. We can't find a verse in the New Testament or anywhere where the disciples or anybody was led by the Holy Spirit. They said, feel like. You're going to see tonight, it's your seamer. It's a little different. So feeling and seeming is two, two different things. Seeming is an, is an understanding or appropriation of walking in the light of that peace. Feelings, man, I mean, my gosh. Feelings can be based on a lot of stuff, not just your heart. What you see, what you hear, what's going on around you. What's so cool about God is in the midst of adversity of a storm or anything going on around you, if you keep your focus right, guess what's going to happen? You are going to wind up where you need to go. I'm going to show you two clips real quick. I didn't get to them this morning. I know I've showed them to you before. It's just to make a point. I just want you to have something to really impact your life with this truth. I have to recognize the importance here. Romans 8, if you just look at it for just a second with me, again in verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh, what do they do? Set their minds minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit, what do they do? things of the spirit if you set your mind on the things of the spirit you walk according to the spirit can i say it another way you're led by god you're led by god you're following the word you're following the inward witness so i'm not trying to get this in a in a position to see something of just a natural aspect of what i'm trying to reveal to you i'm trying to make a point in, in the world of bull riding, I've learned so many things spiritually but based on Scripture of actually uh, ways that God can take things in my past or things even in your past, the stuff you've experienced, showing you spiritual truths from the Bible that help you get a hold of truth. He was a great teacher on the area of parables. So he would take things of their life and he would use those things of their life that they lived every day as an example to get a spiritual point across to say, if you'll get a hold of this, you'll understand what I'm saying. In bull riding, there's several just key things. There's not a whole lot. There's just several key things. One, of course, most people think to be a good bull rider, you've got to be crazy to get on them anyway. Okay, so maybe that's a given. Let's get beyond the crazy part. And let's say to be successful at it, to do it successfully, there only a, there's only a handful of things you've got to do. There's not a ton of stuff you've got to do. And one of the things you've got to do that you're first taught, first and foremost, is you have to focus on the right part of that animal. You don't focus on their head. I've got a picture of me on a bull at Mesquite, Texas. That bull's head is turned to the right. And if you look at the picture, he's standing on his nose kicking. And if you didn't know it, you might think the bull's going to the right, but he's not. He's actually turning to the left. But his head is completely bent around to the right. You don't look at the head of a bull because that bull can throw his head back and forth while he's bucking. But guess where you look? Shoulders. If you teach young guys like I did in schools how to ride bulls, you teach them ride those shoulders. Stick with those shoulders, because guess what's below those shoulders? Front feet. Wherever those front feet go, that's where he's going. And if you want to make the whistle, that's where you need to be. 
But I'll tell you, if you've ever, anybody watched bull riding, never before ever seen bull riding in your life. If you watch bull riding, it's amazing to me, even today, how many times you'll watch a guy on the back of a bull to make a successful ride, eight seconds, to be a success. How I many know oh, God leads us in success? To make a successful ride, just as an example, well, guess what? You got to make that eight-second whistle. It shocks me how many times guys are on the back of a bull, and they're fine. They're riding good, and guess what they do? They look away. There's a saying in bull riding that's been around forever. Guess what? You're going to land where you look. And obviously, if you look away from a bull, you're not going to stay on him. You're going to wind up going right where you look. I'm going to show you two examples. So the first one, look at life. Look at life like God leading me through this life in a way that I'm following his guidance and direction. Why? Because I'm looking at what? What am I looking at? Romans chapter 8. If, if, if I'm walking with God and I'm walking out what he has for my life, verse 5, I'm setting my mind on the things of the Spirit. So if my focus is on the things of the Spirit, guess what I'm going to do? Succeed. Because the Spirit's going to lead me. What happens if you get your eyes off the things of the Spirit? Well, I'll show you an example right here. So this is bull riding clip number one, guys. So watch this. This is a bull that really didn't, I mean, he's got a pretty tricky, his name's Top Cat. He's got a pretty tricky little move here that can kind of get you in trouble. But you're going to find out if you watch closely before I buck off, guess what I wind up doing? I looked away. I took my eyes off of his shoulders, and guess what? The outcome wasn't great. Check it out. It's going to make it tough because this bull will start to the left and then back to the right. Hang on tight. So Top Cat and he is in trouble. Ooh, my Top Cat. Bull caught him, hooked right him. Right after him again. Bull fighters have moved in. You see Jimmy Anderson right there. Pull that bull away, and he's not through yet. Cowboy nearly ran the wrong way. No score. Well, Dan, we'll take another look at this thing. Now, the Cowboy's in good shape. Top Cat starts to I the look. left. His hand's down on the side. Now, really whipped him away from his hand. Where am I looking now, now? Into his hand. He took wow, too long. Well, the bull is right there on him. Top Cat's really dangerous. Picks oh, him up, hits wow. him with those horns. That is a tough wreck. Tough way to make a living, Dan. So, think of life. We're excited if, for you, Dan. We'll see how it goes. If, if, if you think of life... As an example, if you get your eyes off of the things of the spirit and back on the things of the flesh, guess what? The world's going to throw you around. The world's going to take advantage of you. Satan's out to take care of what he wants to do to actually cause you to not triumph and to walk in, in defeat, not in victory. But you got to do what? Keep your eyes where they belong, on the things of the spirit. Amen? So clearly I did not keep my eyes where they belong. By the way, I did redraw that bull back later that year. I paid him back for that. <laughs> <laughs> I actually wrote him the second time and I spurred him and I won some money off him. So that was my fault though because if you notice and if you slow it down, the minute that he got me over to the right, all I did is I just looked away. Guess where I went? Right where I was looking. This next bull is a finals bull. You've seen this before. This is a bull called Cobra. He's a national finals bull, meaning he's one of the bulls that goes to the world, you know, series of rodeo. And so I had him at Mesquite one night. Well, guess what? This bull's got a really tricky kind of a, a unique way that he bucks. He actually, you can't really see it. When I got off, my wrist hurt so bad because he kind of has a little kick to him where he, snap, he jerks on your wrist and keeps trying to pull you to the outside of that spin. Well, guess what? He could have easily bucked me off, uh, but, you know, what he didn't you know why because I kept my eyes on the right place look where I'm looking the whole time now when the whistle blows time to look away time to get up he was trying to do something 
don't think there's going to be a question no about question that. No question there. No question. Good bull ride, Daryl Baker. That's what you like to see him right out in front of the gate. Look at his score, Donnie, for Daryl Baker. He was trying to beat 75. He gets 82 points, and I mean, leaps into first place. He's waving at the crowd, thanking the clowns. 82, not bad. This bull had me bucked off multiple times, but guess what? I just kept looking where I was supposed to. Wave his hand. Look at the free hand. Now, outside foot coming. Head down. Free hand now. He's really loose. Now, keep trying. Stay down in there. Spur. Make the whistle. Get the money. So, oh, boy. This is the that, difference that between you and me walking in triumph or walking in defeat. What's the difference? Being focused on the right thing. If you keep your focus on the things of the Spirit, it doesn't matter what the devil throws at you. I said, it doesn't matter what the devil throws at you. That, there's certain rides like that one because of the way that bull bucks. There's, there, there's kind of a statement that they make like on certain bulls. You can get what they call tapped off, where you just know you're not going to get bucked off. There's just no way you're kind of in the, in the spot you need to be, what we call in the zone. And I guarantee on that bull, you never feel that way. It looks like jump, and it feels like jump by jump, like, you know, sooner or later, this guy's just going to buck me up. But I just kept trying and kept focused where I was supposed to be. So it's kind of like life. You can go through life where it feels like you're going to get defeated and all of a sudden get what? Get thrown down get, and get in a position to be taken advantage of by the enemy. But you know what? If you keep your eyes on the things of the Spirit and you keep following God, I got a word for you. You're going to triumph. He's going to lead you in triumph. But the key comes back to what are you focused on, guys? What is your life focused on? You and I better get real serious about this if we want to walk in what God has for us. So in verse 13 of chapter 8, it says, If you live according to the flesh, what will happen? What will happen? You will die. What's die here mean? Separation. Separation from Zoe life and the peace that God gives us. But if you obviously live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, what will you do? 14. For as many are, as are what? what? As many as are... Led by the Spirit of God, these are what? So we're going to start talking more about that tonight. How do I do that, Pastor? How do I get led by the Spirit of God? And of course, as we've talked about many times, verse 15, you didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, talking about the real you, the spirit man on the inside. You received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. This very spirit, the Holy Spirit himself, verse 16, what does he do? He bears witness with our spirit. We need to become more aware of our spirit. I'm going to make this statement again. You need to hear it. The more aware we are of our spirit man, the more you can be led by God's spirit. The more aware we are of our spirit man, the more we can be led by God's spirit. The less aware we are of our spirit man, the less we're going to be led by God's spirit. God leads us by his spirit through our spirit, through the word, and through the inward witness. And obviously the word in areas that are basic, black and white, all we got to do is go to the scriptures to see what it says. Now, a lot of people even know what the Bible says, and they're still not led by God because they won't honor that word. They won't do what the Bible says. Why would, a, why would a believer who hears something the Bible says that's a benefit to their life, why would they hear it and not do it? Come on, based on what we're learning, why would they hear it and not do it? Deb's got it. Why would they hear it and not do it? What are they focused on? They're carnally focused. So the only reason they wouldn't do it, because if they were focused on the things of the Spirit, what would they do? Read it again back here with me, please, in verse 13. If you by the Spirit are led by the Spirit, what will you do? You'll put to death the deeds of the body. See, the reason people don't do what the Bible says is because they're what? Carnally focused. 
So in the whole context of this, one more time, what is our, what, what is our part in this? What do we need to get zeroed in on? I need to be spiritually focused. If I get my mind... Mind is part of your soul. If I get my inner mind focused on the things of the Spirit, my soul is not looking outwardly now. He's looking inwardly. And if I do that, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to be led by the Spirit of God because I'm now obviously aware of my Spirit. The more I'm aware of my Spirit, the more I'm going to be led by the Holy Spirit. Because you're not going to be somebody who's going to look to the Spirit of God if you want to be carnal. If you want to be carnal, you're going to focus on carnal things. Anybody want to be carnal? What's the end result of carnal? Death. What's the end result of spiritual? Life and peace. So you got to ask yourself today, which one do you want? So we got to do something about this. Proverbs 20. Come on, let's look at some more scriptures that just keep confirming this. Proverbs chapter 20. This is why you and I must become more spiritually focused. More spiritually aware. And I'm going to show you on Wednesday night, some tonight, but I'm going to show you more so on Wednesday night, things you can begin to practice to do that. There's things the Bible teaches us that we can do to start becoming better at becoming spiritually focused. Now, I gave you four little nuggets this morning that would certainly help you to do that. And we'll probably talk more about some of those Wednesday night, but I'm going to give you some real practical things to do that. And I'm going to show you one before we close tonight. Proverbs chapter 20, 27. If you're there, say amen. Underline this, please. The spirit of a man. Say, that's my spirit. The spirit of a man is what? The lamp of the Lord. It's the lamp of the Lord. Now, they said lamp in their day because, of course, they didn't have power, electricity, right? LED lights like we have today. Or, and or bulbs or whatever. No, they had lamps. They had oil lamps. So we would say today, in essence, to modernize it, the spirit of man is what? It's the light. Right? It's the light. It's the LED light of the Lord. Searching all the what? Inner depths of his heart. So what you and I want is we want to be fully led by God. In doing so, how's God going to lead us? Through your spirit man. The spirit of man. Say the spirit of man. Is what? It is the lamp. So what is the lamp? How does God illuminate things to us? How does God show us things? How does God reveal things to us? Not by anything in the natural. I know we keep saying it, but I'm telling you, it's amazing how many Christians still allow stuff in the natural to determine what they do or what they uh, live out in their life based on things going on. Must be God because everything's falling in line. You ever heard this? I know this is God's will because everything's lining up for me, so I got to be in the will of God. You're going by natural circumstances again. See, God doesn't lead you that way. We're going to finish with a powerful story at the end tonight. But you got to understand, God doesn't lead us through natural circumstances. He just told you. How does God lead? He leads to your spirit. How does he illuminate, guide, direct, bring light to you to show you the path you're going to walk on? How's it going to come? I know it's redundant, but we got to hear it over and over and over again so we can understand. This is how God's going to lead me. How? By my spirit man. So guess what I need to do? I need to get aware of my spirit man. Notice again, the spirit of man is the lamp or the light. Of the Lord in the way in which he illuminates uh, how he leads you. Now here, let me give you another little power nug powerful nugget about this, okay? Darkness, darkness does not put out light. Darkness does not put out light. Wherever light exists, darkness has no ability to function. 
Darkness represents obviously our enemy, the work of evil, all that comes along with that. How many know that if you walk in the light, you're not going to be deceived and misled and taken advantage of by darkness? What's going to keep you from doing that? The light. So it's not darkness overtakes light. No. All you have to do is turn on a light and darkness is over. It's not the other way around. There is no dark. Uh, you don't have a flash dark. You have a flashlight. Let me turn on my flash dark and turn out the light. Not, there isn't such a thing. Why? Because darkness doesn't overtake light. Light overtakes darkness. All we got to do is do what? Follow the direction and the leading of God in our spirit. And guess what else you're doing? You're walking away from darkness. You're exposing darkness. You're exposing the lies of Satan to try to take advantage of your life. If you walk in the light, darkness cannot overtake you. No, you didn't hear me. If you walk in the light, darkness cannot overtake you. You still didn't hear me. If you walk in the light, darkness cannot overtake you. Got to get excited about that. So... Oh my gosh, darkness of the enemy, this. No, 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 no. Just walk in the light. Because if you walk in the light, darkness can't overtake you. There is no, uh, there is no flash dark. There ain't no such thing for sale. So all you got to do is do what? All you got to do is follow the leading of the Lord. How's he going to lead you? Through your spirit. The spirit of man is the very lamp or the way that God illuminates or leads us. And when we follow that, guess what we don't walk in? We don't walk in darkness. Go with me to Psalm 77. Book of Psalms, 77th chapter. I mean, we could go through a lot of verses on this, but I want to just touch on a couple key verses here. Go to Psalm 77. Just back up from Proverbs to Psalms. Psalm 77. You got to get the significance of this in your thinker to understand how powerful it is and how important it is. You better learn to be able to get focused on the things of the Spirit because this is how we're going to get from God the direction, the guidance, the wisdom, the only thing keeping us, honestly, the only thing from keeping us from victory, if God leads us, what does he lead us in? Victory. The only thing keeping us from walking in victory is our lack of understanding of what God's trying to direct us to do or our unwillingness to do it. And our unwillingness would mean maybe we kind of know, but we choose to do what? We choose to stay focused on the flesh. So if we know what God wants and we're willing to do it, guess what we're assured? <clears throat> Kathy's got it. The birthday girl's got it. If, if you and I know what... See, think about this. Can you imagine every aspect of your life, if you could just stop and say, if I just knew what God wanted there, I would do it. How I many would do that? If I just knew the decision God wanted me to make, I would make that decision because I know it's going to turn out to do what? It's going to turn out to cause me to triumph. See, the problem with most believers is it's not that they don't want to know what God says, they just don't know how. They haven't trained themselves to hear from God as to how God leads them. So it's like I told you this morning, in the old days of old phones, landlines, before cell phones, right? I mean, if you were going to get a phone call from somebody, you had to be in the house. If you were outside and the phone rang, you'd have no idea. Why? You're in the wrong place. So God's calling us all the time. God's trying to talk to us all the time. God's trying to lead us all the time. The problem is, if you're focused on carnal things, guess what you're doing? You're outside playing. If you're focused on spiritual things, guess what you're doing? You're hanging out in the house waiting for the phone call. Come on, God, just call me. I'm ready to find out what you want me to do here. And the cool part about it is you can. The, the sad truth is, every, every type of a failure in my life primarily resulted because I did not know what God wanted me to do. 
If I knew what God wanted me to do, I'll do it with the best of my ability. Now, that does not mean it always goes the way you think. It rarely does. God's ways aren't your ways. Remember, we went through all that. God's ways are not your ways. If I'm walking out my way, guess what? I'm not walking out God's way. When you even know what God's told you to do, don't try to pre-plan how that's going to work out. Just do what you know God told you to do. God will take care of the rest. Amen? Do what he says. But I'm going to tell you right now, every believer, our time is so short on this earth, and especially in the days we're living in now. I mean, this is why literally Moses said in the Psalms, Lord, teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. Because you know when you're, you know, I'm serious. When you're 12 or 13, you know what I couldn't wait for? 16. Does anybody know why? Driver's license. Come on, man. I want my driver's license. My dad already assured me he's going to get me a vehicle. You know, it might not be much of anything, but it'll start and get you down the road, your first vehicle. And so I know my first vehicle's coming. Now, listen, I knew how to drive cars before I was 14. I drove a forklift for two and a half years in my dad's warehouse. If you can drive a forklift, you can drive pretty much anything, I will assure you. So I already knew how to drive. That wasn't the problem. I'm waiting for 16 so legally I can get the license to go drive. And it seemed like it took forever. To get from 12 to 16, right? Then you turn 16, you know what you want to do next. Now I want to be able to get to be 20 or 21 so I can go out on my own. Right? Get out on my own. Do my own thing for some 18, whatever age. But you want to get out on your own. Do your own thing. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're there. And after you hit that age, you know, there might be a few more of the little goals to reach, but nothing major. But all of a sudden, you start blasting through 20 and 30 and 40. And now you're saying, sure wished I was 20 again. Sure wished I was... 16 again all of a sudden guess what these days are gone and you can't get them back guess what you won't get back after today this day right lift your hand to heaven say lord come on mean it lord teach me teach me to number my days listen to this that i may gain a heart of wisdom see if you number your days that means you're going to do what you're going to be very careful To take advantage of every day you're given. And in what we're learning, how would I take advantage of every day that I'm given? You focus on the things of the Spirit. Don't wait till next Sunday. Don't wait till Wednesday night. Don't wait till prayer tomorrow night. Right? So make spiritual things a priority because guess what? The days are disappearing, folks. One right after another after another. And you can't get them back. All right, Psalm 77. You there? Stalled as long as I could. Verse 6. Psalm 77, 6, notice this. Here it decrees that I call to remembrance my song in the night. I meditate, underline it, within my heart. Where? Within my heart. And my spirit makes diligent search. I meditate within my heart and my spirit makes diligent search. How am I going to search out, again, what the Holy Spirit wants to guide, direct me, and lead me in? With my spirit. It's not your brain, it's not your mind that makes diligent search. It's your spirit that does. you got to get your mind focused on your spirit so that you can pick up what your spirit is making diligent search for. So if you want to make a diligent search to know the will of God, anybody want to do that? You do it with what? Your spirit man. And the way you do that as, a, as, a, as an entire being is you get your mind fixed on the things of the spirit. It is our spirit that will search out the things of God. Not our mind, it's our spirit that will. But for that to happen, our minds need to be what? On spiritual things. Go to Acts now, 15. Acts 15. 
Praise God. I'm hurrying fast as I can because I know y'all thinking about birthday cake. Acts 15. <clears throat> I'm just messing with you. Acts 15. We're not Carly minded. All right. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> so I can preach for the next three, four hours then. <laughs> I'm joking. Acts 15. So let's, let's start looking at some examples. So we know we've got to get spiritually minded. And I'm going to give you something really practical again tonight. I know it's going to be redundant to you, but you need to hear it as we get ready to close in a little bit. But I want you to hear these examples first. In Acts 15, we have a time when the disciples were all gathering back together in Jerusalem because there were some issues going on in this New Testament church. And so all of a sudden, some are saying, well, you know, we're, we're, we're still needing to uphold all the law. Okay, so Jesus was the Messiah. Yep, he was the Christ. But we still need to keep the law. And, of course, the disciples are saying, no, no, Jesus fulfilled the law. So now you kind of got this whole confusion going on in this New Testament church as to what we're supposed to do. Well, guess what the disciples did? They prayed. They were focused on spiritual things. So they prayed, they asked God, they sought God, they tried to get wisdom from God. What do we need to do? And as they did, we get the result here in Acts 15. Verse 22 of Acts 15, if you're there, say amen. Notice this. Then it pleased the apostles. Underline that, please. It pleased the apostles. This phrase is going to be used multiple times in this following uh, chapter. But it's going to come up in the same, it's the same phrase, but it's going to come up with different wording. It's going to come up with the wording, it seemed good to us. This phrase, it seemed good to us, also means that it seemed pleasing to us. So this is the same phrase as we're about to read over and over and over again down through chapter 15. Verse 22, it pleased the apostles. Now when we say it pleased them, did it please their flesh? No, this is a spiritual matter. So when they says it pleased them, what were they talking about? Their spirit man, not their flesh. So it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men out of their own, con- uh, out of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. So they wrote this letter to send with them to go to the churches, back to the churches. They wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Now, how many already know, because we're reading this in the Bible, in the context of the book of Acts, how many already know? We already know this is inspired by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> this isn't some mental you know, thing they came up with in their minds. So we know when it says it pleased the apostles, what do we know that means? That the Holy Spirit was bearing witness with their spirit. Yeah. Right? All Scripture is God-breathed. So we know this was inspired by God, clearly. So verse 24 says, Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words unsettling to your souls, saying, here it is, you must still be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. In other words, we didn't tell them to say that. So all these guys creeping in now, Coming back into the churches we established and telling you this, we're telling you we didn't send them. We didn't tell them that. Notice verse 25. Underline it every time it comes up. Underline it, please. It seemed good to us. Let me help you. This is being led by the Spirit of God through their spirit. When they said it seemed good to us, how do you let me understand again? This letter they're writing was given to them by the Holy Spirit. 
So when they said, it seemed good to us, guess what that means? They picked up in their spirit what the Holy Spirit wanted them to say. Now, you're already privileged again to know that ahead of time because it's in the Bible. But this is the phrase they used all the time when they were being led by God and by their spirit through the Holy Spirit. The phrase they used wasn't, well, you know what? Feels pretty, feels like the right thing. No, they didn't go by feeling. They said, it seemed good. It would do us all good to learn about our seamer. <clears throat> you listening? We need to learn about our seamer. We need, to, we need to be checking on our spirit on the inside, to our, our seamer, to say, does this seem good or not? Does this seem good that we should have some mugs, bakery, and cafe cake? After service today, can I help you? Yes, it does. <laughs> Why? We want to celebrate her birthday. It seemed good to us being assembled with one accord. Being what? Assembled with one accord. So we know they're walking in unity, not just with each other, but with the Spirit of God. Notice this, to send chosen men. Send what? Not just anybody. Chosen men. Who chose them? God did. God showed them who they were. Remember this? Remember the initial ones that were chosen by God? Notice this, men to you, note, along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. How many know who one of those chosen men was? We're going we're gonna to bring him up in a minute. Silas. Silas was one of those chosen men. So these weren't people that they just decided that they should go with them. No, they were led by the Holy Spirit to choose these men. Verse 26, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 27, we have therefore sent Judas and Silas who will also report the same things by word of mouth. So not only will you hear it from Paul and Barnabas, but also Judas and Silas will confirm this as well. And these men have risked their lives for the gospel. Well, if they risk their lives for the gospel, what's he saying about them? They're spiritually focused. This, these aren't carnal guys. You listening? These aren't carnal believers. 28, underline it again. Notice this phrase added now. It seemed good, watch, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Guess what they just got? <clears throat> Guess what they just got? The co-witness. Romans 8, 16, the Holy Spirit bears witness with. Co-witness. So they already had this witness in their spirit, but guess who's now confirming, excuse me, guess who has already confirmed who they're acknowledging that not only did it seem good to us, but guess what else they did? They wanted the co-witness of the Holy Spirit. Is this correct? Is this right? What we're writing down. And guess what they got? They got the co-witness of the Holy Spirit inside them, which was a sign of what? Peace. Or, I hate to say it this way, I want to be careful, or a form of pleasure. That's why it says back there in verse 22, it pleased the apostles. Where is this pleasing to them? In their spirit. If it's pleasing in your spirit, can I give you back the phrase that we just talked about? You got a peace. If it's not pleasing to your spirit, what do you have? You have an agitation. Right? Remember John 14. What did he say? My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your heart be agitated. Nor let it be afraid. So how do I not let my heart be agitated or afraid? Obey God. If you have an agitation or a timidity about a decision or direction you're going, guess what? You're hearing from God. And you know what you know? That's not the right direction. But see, they would not have said, not only did it seem good to us, we have the witness of our spirit, not our brain. 
We didn't sit down for hours and say, let's come up with something. No, they're, they're praying. They're, they're ministering to the Lord. And as they're praying, they hear from God. They write these things down. <clears throat> That's why they said, verse 25, it did what? Seemed good to us. Now, verse 28, not only that, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. So it's not just us that has this witness. We have the co-witness of the Holy Spirit. He is co-witnessing with us. This is proper. This is right. What you're doing is exactly from God. So notice it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. So these were the things that they were picking up in their spirit. Say they were picking it up in their spirit. Your spirit already inhabited by the Holy Spirit pretty much knows what's going on, knows what to do. But the great part about it is the Holy Spirit will give a co-witness to your spirit that this is God. This is correct. That's what they had. So what did he tell them? Notice this, verse 29, that you abstain from things. This is still good, by the way. It's New Testament. That you abstain from things offered to what? Idols. From Notice this, from blood, from things strangled, from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So just ditch all this circumcision stuff and all this keeping of the law stuff. Jesus fulfilled all that. Amen? But... Because in their day, why, why the issue here of abstaining from things offered to idols? Because for a lot of people, that was still an issue that became a stumbling block to them in their walk with God. Now, I don't have time to teach on this. But God is so sincere about us not causing somebody else to stumble into a sin. That they were told, you don't even, you could eat meat. It doesn't matter if it's ever been offered to an idol or not. It don't affect that meat. But there are those who still have a weak conscience who think it is actually still affected by some form of deity of a demon or something, something demonic, and therefore we shouldn't eat it. So he said, if you are going to offend a brother by eating meat offered to an idol, and that's going to cause him to stumble and not want to obviously honor God and walk with God because of something you're doing, don't do it. You want to know why you don't drink alcohol? Because if a believer who has a drinking problem knows you drink, guess what they are now justifying? Their drinking problem. Jesus did not turn water into wine that caused everybody to get snockered and drunk at the end of the wedding. He would have sinned. <clears throat> he would have led them into what would have been a sin, which is a stumbling block. So notice this, verse 30. You're still with me, aren't you? So note, when they were sent off, right? Paul, Barnabas, Judas, Silas. When they were sent off, they came to Antioch with the letters. When they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. Verse 31. <clears throat> when they had read it, what did they do? They rejoiced over its encouragement. Hey, man, we don't have to keep the law. We don't have to do all this stuff. Praise God. Now we know not, listen, not from the apostles. We now know from God. Amen. What did the letters say? It didn't just seem good to us. <clears throat> Seem good to the Holy Spirit as well. We've heard from God on this. So they're rejoicing over it. Verse 20, notice this, verse 32, excuse me. Notice, now Judas and Silas themselves being prophets also, they exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. 33, and after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles, the original apostles. Listen to this, underline it. However, underline it, it seemed good to Silas. It seemed good to Silas to do what? Remain there. Silas doesn't know why. This is something you've got to understand about the leading of God. The leading of God doesn't mean he tells you everything that's coming down the pike. 
in this case, Silas has no idea why. Him and Judas are being told, okay, we're, you guys are good. We're done here. You, we've, we've established with them what the letter states. You go on back to the apostles. But you know what Silas did? Silas said, you know what? It doesn't seem good to my seamer. Right. <laughs> That's right. I don't know why. I don't know why, but it seems good that I should stay here. What's he being led by? Holy Spirit. Why is he being led by the Holy Spirit? Why is he being led by the Holy Spirit? Why is he being led by the Holy Spirit? You ready? Here's why. Because his mind is set on the things of the Spirit. What if Silas's mind was not set on the things of the Spirit? He wouldn't have had this witness. Would the Holy Spirit have been speaking? Yes. Would he have known it? No. Why? Because he'd have been focused on the things of the flesh. Now you're going to find out how critical this is in the lives of people. Why did it seem good to him? Because he had his focus on the things of the Spirit. Any time you keep your focus on the things of the Spirit, you're going to have this witness. You're going to have this witness. So again, verse 34, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Verse 36, thank God for holy men of God who learned how to hear from God and obey God. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we've preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. All these churches we established, it's a proven fact to history almost every time they established a church, they were there almost a minimum a year every time. Why? They got to actually raise these people up in understanding of what what it means to walk with God. They got to establish leadership. They got to find somebody that's not just quote unquote willing to do it. They got to find somebody that's qualified and called to do it. Amen? An apostle who starts a work is the pastor at the start of that work until God speaks to you. Until it seems good to you as to who that shepherd's supposed to be. So they're going to now go back and follow up with those works because they're responsible for them. They help birth those works, which is what they would do. We're going to go make sure everything is going good with these churches. Look at verse 37. Now Barnabas, underline it please, was determined. It, what, it didn't seem good to him. I said it didn't seem good to him. This wasn't, oh, it seemed good to Barnabas to take with them John, John called Mark. No, had nothing to do with that. What was the decision being made here about taking John Mark with him? Because Barnabas wanted to. <clears throat> Barnabas was determined. You can be determined to do something and not be God. If your seamer ain't bearing witness with your spirit, come on somebody, then it ain't God. So again, uh, Barnabas was determined to take with them John uh, called Mark 38, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Why did he insist? I'm going to tell you why. First and foremost, understand, different than today for most of us in America, you're going to go preach, if you go preach the gospel to people in America today, it's not like your life is being threatened every day. Guess what these guys are doing? They're being threatened every day. Their life's at risk every day. If they're not following the leading of God, they could be killed. Because right. this was not a happy message being heard around the time frame which they lived of everybody around them. I mean, they're constantly being persecuted, chased out of cities. Amen. So what is the significance of this decision here? Okay, so if you know the story, what happened when they took John Mark the first time? He actually bailed on them. 
it got really difficult, got really tough, got really hard. Guess who you don't want to take with you on that type of a trip? You don't want to take an immature believer because guess what? That's going to hinder you. More than that, why would Paul be so concerned about not taking John Mark? Does he have a thing against John Mark? Well, you know this. You know that when he wrote letters from Rome in prison and he actually wrote about uh, them bringing to him the parchments and, and his cloak and all that stuff, guess what else he said? Bring John Mark. You know why? Because he's now profitable for me in the gospel. You know what? He's grown up. He's matured. He's now capable of being a help to me. See, an immature believer to a person like this or a Summerall of the day or a Dr. Hagen of the day who is going and dealing with things that obviously could be the difference between life and death in some cases, guess what? An immature believer could literally cost you your life and cost them their life. What is Paul really concerned about here? John Mark's life. John Mark's life. See, if you don't learn to follow the Holy Spirit, it can't just affect you. It can affect other people. And I'm telling you, you better, you better obey when you know. You better start learning to obey when you know your seamer doesn't seem right. right, right. Amen. Keith Moore, who's a pilot, has a plane. Uh, you know, he's the chief pilot of his own plane. And, of course, you have to have a co-pilot because it's a jet. Uh, they were getting ready to fly to a meeting. And he said, there's a routine. There's a check routine you go through. Co-pilot's got his routine. I've got mine. I'm going through all my check stuff inside the plane. There's things he's supposed to check outside the plane. He comes up in the plane. We're getting ready to go. Doors closed. We've called the tower. Everything's set to go. And something in my spirit didn't seem right. And he turned to the co-pilot and he said to the co-pilot, did you check this, exact, this uh, uh, specific piece of equipment? Oh, yeah, I checked it. Done checked it. Okay. So then he sat there and he kind of getting ready to go again. He said, are you sure you checked it? I checked it. I checked it. All right. So then he gets, he said, but I've, I've learned. I've learned by following this inward witness to never push that off and act like it's no big deal. And he said, you know what? I just don't have a, a, a positive witness about this. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. So guess what he does? He has to call the tower. Cancel their immediate takeoff. He's show, holding up the whole show, but it's his show. It's his plane. He shuts everything down, tells the co-pilot, get your stuff off. And he gets out of the plane and he goes and checks. And guess what it was that he was actually asking him if he checked or not. The co-pilot's responsible for checking a pin that goes in the front shaft of the actual plane that causes you to be able to drive that, uh, steer that plane going down the runway 100 plus miles an hour. That's important. Yeah. What if the pin's there? Can't steer the plane. Guess what happened when he went down there and checked? The pin wasn't there. What if he wouldn't have checked? What if he just pushed off that, pushed off that, that, that seamer feeling in him and just went on anyway and trusted what the guy said? They could have crashed. Are you listening? So this isn't Paul being mean. Paul knows this boy could cause us to crash. He's not there yet. He's not ready yet. I love him, but I'm not going to take somebody immature. There's a lot of believers today who get upset when you don't allow them to just do whatever they want in ministry because they're not mature enough yet to do it. They're going to cause more harm than good, not just to other people, even to themselves. That was Paul's concern here. Now, you're going to find out Paul clearly is being led by God. Watch this. So again, 38, Paul insisted they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia, previously doing the work, and had gone uh, and had not gone on with them to do the work. 39, the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another, so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul did what? Now, if you will pay attention to verse 34 and verse 40, you'll know who heard God and who didn't. Amen. 
Don't tell me Barnabas heard God as much as Paul did. Really. Then why in the world was God bearing witness with Silas to stay behind? There was no reason for these two to part other than Barnabas wanted to get his way. You know what causes people to part from where they're supposed to be spiritually? They can't get their way. And when they can't get their way, guess I've had people literally leave before, no joke, and flat tell me, I can't get my way here, so I'm going to go somewhere where I can. Good luck with that. I'm sure you'll probably find somebody to let you get your way. I don't, it ain't about getting your way. It's about what is God's way. What does God want us to do? Well, I want to get my way. Sorry, uh, there's qualifications for what you're doing according to the Bible. So I can choose to live by the qualifications of the Bible, God's way, or we can just choose to go your way and compromise. But guess what? I'm not a compromiser. I want the pin in the front of the, of the, of the, of the part that steers the ship. I don't want to crash on takeoff. This could cost your life, my life, and others. Are you still with me? So Paul did what? What did Paul do? Verse 40, he chose Silas. Now, guess what? What if Silas wouldn't obeyed his seamer? He wouldn't have been there. He wouldn't have been there. But Paul chose Silas and he departed being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. He was commended by who? Tell me who he was commended by. You know what that means? It was good to their seamer. They knew he was obeying God. You can say what you want, get mad at you want, claim you don't believe this, whatever. Whatever you want to say about Barnabas. I'm not knocking Barnabas. Barnabas was the guy that got Paul into the company of the believers to begin with. It's sad to see him now wanting his way so much so that he's not willing to simply yield to what obviously is leadership, hearing from God, because God's already talked about this to Silas. If that wasn't true, if this would not have happened and they would have obeyed God, Silas would have never had a witness in his spirit to stay there. If Silas had a witness to stay there, because guess what? God knew Paul was going to need somebody. Who's God endorsing, Paul or Silas? Or, excuse me, Paul or uh, Barnabas? He's endorsing Paul. That's the reason he told Silas to stay. You can say what you want. I'm not faulting Barnabas at all. You know what, guys? Seriously, it's just like as an example, which our pastor sat on a council to help deal with this to see if there was true godly sorrow. How many know the name Jimmy Swagger? And when you hear the name Jimmy Swagger, you know what most people think of today? The adultery that he got into. But how many of you know he literally won mass thousands of souls to the Lord? None of that's going to be taken from him. None of that. All that's to his credit of what God did in his life. Can I get a better amen? But this is why it's so critical we follow God. And you and I got to realize that even though people can make mistakes, they can get it corrected. The sad part is you never hear about Barnabas through the rest of the book of Acts. All you hear is about the Apostle Paul. And I'm just telling you, you and I got to learn to follow this seamer. How do we do that? Well, how did they all follow this seamer? How did they follow him? So this is like about the 25th time I've told you this today. How did they follow him? Because their mind was set on the things of the Spirit. You want to know why? Because that's how God does things. 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. 1 Samuel 16, verse 1, the Lord is now telling Samuel, you're going to have to go and find the replacement that I've chosen for King Saul. You're going to go to Jesse, and you're going to anoint the next king that I've chosen to replace Saul, because Saul has now failed me. So the Lord said to Samuel in verse 1, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil. Go, I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among what? His sons. 
Samuel said, well, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you. Say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I'll show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I name to you. Which one will you choose? The one that I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said. He went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming, saying, Do you come peaceably? He said, Peaceably. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and he invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and he said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So this is the first son. This has got to be him. Now, why would Samuel say that? Why would Samuel say that? He's basing it on appearance. Right? Probably the tallest, biggest one, whatever. He's this got to be him, man. This has got to be the one. So notice again, verse 6. When they came, he looked at Eliab. Samuel did. And, uh, and he said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Does he have the witness of the Lord? No. He's going by what he's seeing. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I've refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. Underline that. The Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? So this is how God functions. This is why we want to get our minds set on the things of the Spirit. Because what does God have his focus on? Things of the Spirit. He doesn't look at stuff in the natural. Verse 8, so Jesse called Abinadab, the next son. He made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. So Samuel's smart enough now, instead of saying that's him, he's just letting him pass by and he's listening to the Lord. Do I have the witness this is the right one? Instead of speaking up and saying, well, that must be him. He didn't say anything now. You listening? So that's smart. Abinadab walks by. No, Lord hasn't chosen this one. Verse 9, Jesse made Shammah pass by. He said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. I guess God doesn't know what he's doing. No, there's got to be another son somewhere. This can't be all of them. Because God hasn't chosen any of these. 11, Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet uh, the youngest, and he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, well, you send and bring him, because guess what? For we will not sit down till he comes here. We're not doing anything till you get him over here. Verse 12, he sent and brought him in, and now he was ruddy with bright eyes, good looking. And the Lord said, do what? Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. 14, but the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord, or permitted by the Lord, did what? Troubled him. So God doesn't see as man sees, therefore God doesn't lead as man leads. Does he? No, he doesn't. How does he lead? To the Spirit. And this is why we got to get our minds focused on the things of the Spirit. So practically speaking, how can I do that, Pastor, on a daily basis? Live in your Bible. Live in the Word. It's the number one way that God speaks to you. But when you live in it, don't just read it because you have to. Read it because you want to and you want a fellowship with God. 
It's the most critical thing to hearing from God and learning how to get your mind focused on the things of the Spirit. This is a spiritual book. If I get consumed with this book, I'm getting my mind consumed with the things of the Spirit. And if I do, guess what? My seamer is going to start working. Your seamer really is already working. You just need to know where your seamer is and start recognizing what is my seamer revealing to you. What's your seamer? What's your seamer? It's your spirit. It's your spirit. So when they said it seemed good, they were talking about their spirit man. Now, two things you can do. One, live in the Bible, because if you live in the Bible and fellowship with God, you're focused on the spiritual things. Number two, start looking to your seamer. Start looking to your spirit. When you, as I talked about this morning, when you go to make decisions in life, when you go to do something on the basics, basic aspect of what you do day in and day out, you should stop and ask yourself inside this question. Does this seem good to me? Does this seem good to me to spend time watching this show? Does this seem good to me to actually read this article? Does this seem good to me to focus my attention on this? Or does it not? Start asking your spirit man Start looking inwardly from your soul, your area of reason, to say, does this seem good to me? Do I have a peace about it? Do I have an absolute knowing that this is okay with God and this is okay with my spirit man? Because the more you pick up on your seamer, the more you're going to be led by the Holy Spirit. The more you get aware of your spirit man, you're not going to be aware of your spirit man unless you do what? Start looking inwardly. Does this seem good to me? Do I have an absolute peace in my heart, in my spirit, man, about doing this? Jesus gave me a peace to confirm what I know I'm doing right by God. Is this, does this seem right? Does this seem right what I'm doing with my time? You know how many people, and I've done it, you know how many people say they're too busy for spiritual things? I'm going to tell you why. Because you're not listening to your seamer. Because your seamer would say, cut that out, cut that out, cut that out, and you'll have time for this. And if you have time for this, you have time for me, and I can lead you in victory. Amen. So you can, you can make the choice to say, I'm going to keep living life on the grand scale of how I'm living it now, doing all the other things that I don't have time for the things of God. But guess what you're going to miss out on? Triumph. Guess what you're going to miss out on? Victory. Because you've got to be led of the Lord to get that. Well, to do that, you've got to get your mind set on the things of the Spirit. So two practical things. One, stay in the Word. Stay in the Word. Stay in the Word. Stay in the Word. Live in the Word. It needs, as we talked about this morning, remember I gave you four things. The Word needs to be what? First place in your life. You got to give the Word first place in your life. You've got to because that's the number one way you're going to learn to begin to pick up on your spirit, man. What the Word is to your spirit is what physical food is to your flesh. And the more you feed on the Word of God, listening to God speak to you, the more God will show things to you. Now, when God reveals something to you, what should you do? Meditate on it. Meditate on it. I was, I was coming in <clears throat> to work yesterday, and I was meditating on some verses. I was meditating on some things I've been thinking about for a while now in relationship to who you are in Christ and some things about relationship to that being something I would like to be able to help more people with to understand who they are. And the Lord has given me assignment to write a book, and this book is going to be on every verse in the New Testament as to who you are in Christ. And every single one of those verses is going to have a simple little short uh, little deal to go with it to talk about what that verse means as to who you are in Christ. And it will be a little daily devotional that you'll be able to feed on who you are in Christ. I don't know of one. Maybe there is one, but I'm not aware of one. Guess what you need to learn? Who you are in Christ. Amen? So I got work to do. 
Now, I can choose to say I'm too busy, I can't do it, or I can listen to my seamer who already gave me peace about doing it and say, you know what, now think other things take a back seat. Because if that's what God wants me to do, I'm going to obey God. And if I obey God, it'll lead to triumph. Not just for me, but a lot of people. How would you like to have a little devotional that has every verse in the New Testament as to who you are in Christ? Every day you could open up, read a verse, and read what it actually means to you of who you are. And the more you learn that, the more you walk in the light of who you are. Can I get a better amen? God doesn't look at what we look at. So for us to walk like God, guess what we got to do? Start looking inwardly. Just like God. That's the whole point of that story. The point of that story is quit just looking externally and making decisions. Start looking internally. Just like God does. Start looking to your spirit. What does my spirit actually tell me about this? Does it seem good for me to keep doing these things? God's already dealt with me on stuff he wants me to get off of my schedule. I already know. It doesn't seem good to my spirit. I'm too, I'm too caught up in these other things. I already know stuff you've assigned me to do. I'm just like, how am I going to get that done? Well, your problem, son, is you're doing stuff I never asked you to do. So you have a choice. You can rearrange your schedule and start doing what I told you to do. And therefore, you'll walk in victory. Or you just keep going the way you're going. But you're not going to walk in the light of all that I have for you. Because you're not doing what I assigned for you to do. But thank God we can. So two things. One, live in the Bible. Two, start looking inwardly. Start looking inward. That's what God does. God doesn't look at things in the natural. Don't base, don't base what you're doing in life as to what you do day in and day out just based on what actually you see in the natural. Start looking to your spirit, man. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.